If you have your copy of God's Word online or in-house, would you look with me to the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, and that's where we're going today, Romans chapter number 8. And so um, we're going to begin today with verse number 1. So if you have your copy of God's Word, are you ready to hear from the Lord today? Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse number 1. Now... Paul has been writing to us, and he comes to this next chapter. And notice, you know in your Bible, as you look at it, that the chapter divisions and the verse markings, that was not in the original copy of God's Word. And the Word flowed. It was a letter that was written. So Paul didn't say, now, chapter 8, verse 1. And that is not the way he wrote the Bible. It is all one letter, but he's bringing his whole argument, and he's, he's bringing it to, for our instruction in Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. And I, let me just say a few things about the 8th chapter of Romans. It's one of the best known and most beloved chapters in all of God's Word. Romans chapter 7, if it was preoccupied with the law's place in a believer's life, Romans chapter 8 has a preoccupation with the Spirit's work in a believer's life. In chapter number 7, the law and its synonyms are used 31 times in chapter 7, and the Holy Spirit is only referred to once in chapter 7. But in chapter number 8, In the first 27 verses, the Holy Spirit is mentioned by name 19 times. In this great chapter, he's talking about, he's helping us understand that, yes, there's the ongoing, indwelling problem of sin, and that the law is weak and helpless to help us in our struggle. But the indwelling of the Holy Spirit liberates us and gives us power to live the Christian life. Amen? In Romans chapter 8, there are two kind of themes. Number one is a theme about our sanctification, but also Romans 8 is about our security. It is one of the greatest sections of Scripture that help us understand the security of the believer that's found in all of God's Word. So it begins with, there's now therefore no condemnation, and it ends with, there's no separation. Those things go together. And so we have great confidence in the Lord. If you outline chapter number eight, so to speak, you could talk about, first of all, in the first part of the chapter, is dealing with the varied ministries of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit liberates us, the Holy Spirit entwells us, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, the Holy Spirit leads us, the Holy Spirit witnesses to us that we are the children of God, and the Holy Spirit gives resurrection power into the life of the believer. Then, that's the first 17 verses. Then in verse number 18 to 27, he's talking about the future of the glory of God's children. That all of fallen creation is being restored and the children are going to be restored and all of creation restored and it's all for the glory of God. 
And then at the end of the chapter, it's about the steadfastness of God's love, that he works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, and that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's an amazing, glorious chapter, and I encourage you during these weeks as we're going to be walking through Romans 8 that you would read it, think on it, meditate on it, maybe even being challenged to memorize it. It is a great, great portion of truth that's found in, right in the heart of this gospel, of this message. So Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. Amen. Father, today, speak to our hearts as we study your word. Confront us, comfort us, convict us, change us. Lord, you know the burdens that we all carry today. We cast them on you. We know that you care for us and that you love us, that you're with us and you're for us and you never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, Father. You've demonstrated your own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, God, for your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse number one, just walk with, it, with me through the scripture. Verse number one, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. First of all, notice the therefore. Therefore, continue, it's continuation. What I've written, I want you to take into consideration. What I've written before, take into consideration in what I'm getting ready to tell you. The context is, notice verse 23. I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I'm serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The whole greater context, I think, could be all of the book of Romans. In particular, maybe chapter 6 verse, through chapter 7, verse number 25. Here Paul is dealing with two things, twin things. Number one, the guilt of our sin. And secondly, the power of sin. First of all, this theme of dealing with the guilt of sin, what he's saying is we no longer bear it. We're no longer bearing the guilt of our sin. Can somebody say praise God that you no longer bear the guilt of your sin? In chapter number 3, verse 21, says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. 
The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no distinction. Amen. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his restraint. God passed over the sins previously committed. And God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has his faith in Jesus. My friends, all of your sin was nailed to the cross and paid for in full. And your guilt about sin has been removed. Hallelujah. But also, sin's power has now been destroyed. And it doesn't hold you in the same power as it once did. In chapter number 7, verse number 17, listen to the scripture. I'm no longer the one doing it. It's sin living in me. Verse number 19. For I do not do the good I want to do, but I practice the evil that I don't want to do. This is an ongoing struggle with sin. Verse 20. Now if I do what I do not want, I'm no longer the one who does it, but sin that lives in me. The issue is this, this sin problem. Verse number 23. I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. But in this passage of Scripture that we read today, notice, I just want to set you up for what he's teaching us, that God has not only covered your guilt, but he's breaking sin's chains so that you might live for the glory of God. Aren't you glad God's not done with you? You still were doing a work in you? Amen. So he's connecting his argument in chapter 8 to these themes of justification in Christ and our sanctification in Christ. Christ is working in you. And that's what he says. First number is 8. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. The condemnation and justification, uh, they're opposites. And so he says, he uses it with the negative. He said, there is therefore now absolutely no condemnation, meaning you are justified. You don't stand in your sin any longer. Christ has changed us, and he's done it because Christ lives in you, and you are in Christ Jesus. Now, that's an amazing thought, that Christ, that you're in Christ and Christ in you. It is transforming in our lives. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, I'm not the best golfer in the world. Some of y'all can attest to that. You've played with me. I've often dreamed about the idea of somehow Tiger Woods' ability coming inside of my body. I'd like to have that experience just for one day. It reminds me of a story. One of the great preachers of yesteryear and 
Memphis, Tennessee, was a man by the name of R.G. Lee, world-renowned pastor and preacher. Biblically trained, theologically trained, a lawyer, uh, absolutely brilliant mind and scholar, and a great preacher of God's Word. He pastored the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee for many, many years. And then... His, the one who followed him later in later years when he was an elderly man was a man by the name of Adrian Rogers. You've heard his name. Great preacher also of Pastor Bellevue for many, many years. When Dr. Lee was dying and in the hospital, Adrian Rogers went to visit him one day. And as they were standing in the room, he says, oh, Dr. Lee, he said, I just wish for a moment. I could take your mind and put it in my head. And Dr. Lee looked up at him and said, Son, that'd be like putting a grand piano in a closet. <laughs> but something more amazing than that, Christ has come to live in you. And Christ is working in you. And Christ, by faith, when you were born again, God put his spirit, he awakened you, he drew you, he saved you, and his spirit has come to live in you. Christ's spirit is changing you, strengthening you, and transforming you. So he says there is no condemnation. He means that you, there is therefore now no condemnation. It's emphatic, the point that he wants to make. Look with me to Romans chapter 4, verse number 25. Romans 4, verse number 25. He was delivered up for our trans trespasses and raised for our justification. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We also have obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We have been justified and made right with God. We have peace with God and hope and we have been delivered. In chapter number 5 of Romans, verse number 16, look with me again to the scripture. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came judgment, condemnation, resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. For by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace, the gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Verse 18. So then, as through one trespass, there's condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act, there's justification leading to life for everyone. Hallelujah. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, at the end of the chapter, who is the one who condemns? In verse number 31. There's, who can condemn? God's the one who's done this saving. Who is the one? What should we say? If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation to God's elect? God's the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died even more, has been raised, is at the right hand of God, and he intercedes for us. Who can separate us? from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. No one, no one can separate us. You're, there is therefore no condemnation, but it's for those who are in Christ Jesus, in union with Christ, married to Christ. Your baptism is reminding you of your union with Christ. Romans 6 verse 3. He says, are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried with him by baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we may walk in the newness of life. We can live a brand new life. We don't have to live that old sinful life. We're in union with Jesus Christ. We've been united with him in the likeness of his death. We will certainly be in the likeness of his resurrection. Our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. So we are in Christ Jesus. He says in verse 11, Consider, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. How? In Christ Jesus. You're in Christ, and Christ is in you. John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come into judgment, but he's passed out of death into life. Your salvation is found in Jesus Christ. There's no other way, there's no other name whereby we must be saved. And in Christ Jesus alone, we have everlasting life and no condemnation. It is in the accomplished work of Christ. We are in Jesus Christ and he saves us from the wrath of God. Old Testament picture. Old Testament gives us many pictures of great New Testament truths. And in the book of Genesis, there's Noah. And God says, I'm going to judge. My wrath is going to be poured out on all mankind, all flesh, because everything that man does is evil. And it's absolutely perverted everywhere. He tells Noah to build an ark, and he makes this ark out of the plan that God reveals to him. He builds it with gopher wood and and then he takes, I want you to take pitch, and pitch is like a tar-like substance, and I want you to cover this huge vessel inside and out with pitch. And then you're to go inside of the ark, and God closed the door, and the wrath of God fell, and mankind was judged. Interesting word, the word pitch that same word is the word used for atonement. Kofer. It's the atoning covering of God. My friends, that's a picture of you. When you're in Christ, you're saved from the wrath of God. 
and the world experiences wrath. But we're saved by God's work for us. Isn't that glorious? It says our salvation is in Christ. No. 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 Condemnation. Not now. Not ever. It's improper theology. And it plagues people with fears and insecurity. When we teach somehow that when you receive Jesus as your Savior, He forgives you of all your past sins, but He doesn't cover your present sins or your future sins. I'm telling you, my friends, all your sin has been nailed to the cross and paid in full. And some of us feel like, man, I've been plagued with this. As a boy, I was plagued with this. Well, yeah, I've trusted Christ. He forgave me all my sins. But what if I screwed up and I don't confess it and then I get killed? Before I can confess it, what if I go to hell then? I'm not the only one that's had these crazy thoughts in their mind, right? And so... They teach that we go in and out of salvation. But that's not what Paul's saying here. He said there's no, never will be condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God saves you. And that does not lead you to live a sinful life. That leads you to live an adoring, worshipful life before God. Second verse, notice this work of liberation that God does us for us. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Don't miss, in verse number two, it says, maybe your translation says for. I think a good translation is because. Don't miss that. It says, the reason for my assurance and that there's no condemnation is because of the work of the spirit of life, what God has done, and the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. When he uses the phrase, the law of sin and death, what is he talking about? The wages of sin is death. There's nothing evil, nothing wrong in the law itself. Paul's argument in chapter 7, verse 7. He says, is the law sin? Absolutely not, verse 7. But I would have, how would I have known sin if it were not for the law? For example, I would have not known what it is to covet if the law has said, do not covet. The law is good. The law is holy. But notice the culprit is sin. Verse 8, And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I once was alive from, with, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, what happened? Sin sprang to life again. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. For sin, seizing an opportunity. In verse 11, through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. 
What brings death? Law-breaking breaks death. And the problem is sin that's in us. And when the law came, we rebelled against God's holy commandment, and it brought death to us. And so here Paul calls it, it's the principle, it's the law of sin and death. It's active in us, it's destructive, this sin, it's a moral cancer. But how has God dealt with it? He says there's another principle, there's another law, and there's another power, and it's the law of the spirit of life. That's an odd way to say. It's God's, the Holy Spirit's life-giving work. And it is God working in you. He is saving you. And he has set you free from the law of sin and death. When it says he set you free, he's emancipated you. He has released you from the captivity that held you. It's an aorist tense. He says it's a work accomplished in us. You have been set free to live for God. That's an amazing thought. Chapter 2 of Corinthians and chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians said he made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. My friends, you cannot be saved by the law. You can't be justified by the law. It's the work of God's spirit in you. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6, 17. Paul said in Galatians 6, 8, One who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. The Spirit gives life. Jesus said the Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh does not help at all. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Christ's spirit dwells in you. He has set you free to a new life. I must hurry. Third point that Paul makes is the impotence of the law. Notice in verse number three, he says, For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. I love that. God did. He condemned sin in the flesh, by sending his own son, the likeness of sinful flesh, as a sin offering. It reminds me of Paul when he's preaching in Acts 13. He said, through this man, meaning Jesus, forgiveness of sin is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything. Now listen, from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. There's only one way to be justified, and that's in Jesus Christ. There's only one way that you can be sanctified and God's holiness exhibited in your life, the transformation of your life, and that's the work of Christ inside of you, his Holy Spirit. Romans 3 verse 20 says, No one will be justified in the sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. No, we are not saved by the law. We're not sanctified by the law. We conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. The law can't justify you, and the law can't sanctify us. That's, it's, in, it's in, incompetent, it's, in, it's impotent to do so. It has no power to do it. 
Verse number three, the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh. This flesh, sinful, disobedient flesh. Nothing wrong in the law, but the law can't save us because of sin that lives in us and the weakness of our flesh. So how does God do it? It says, but God did. Now here's the amazing thing. Don't lose it. This is how he did it. You say, Brother Tim, how did he do it? He tells us right here, verse 3. It's awesome. Look at it. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the like of sinful flesh. The likeness of sinful flesh. Number one, he sent his only son. Aren't you glad God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son? That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God didn't send an angel, he sent his son. He sent his only begotten son. God demonstrated his own love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ came for you and for me. God sent his own son for our salvation. Listen to what John says in 1 John 4, verse number 9. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sin. God, this is how God did a work of saving us, and this is how God is sanctifying us. We must remember what God has done. He sent his own son, and he bore the price of our sin. He sent his son as a full human. Don't miss the point. He came in the flesh. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh, verse number three. Now, don't make a theological problem here. When it says the likeness of sinful flesh, some heresies early in the church said that Jesus came in the likeness of flesh, but he wasn't truly in the flesh. No, doceticism is it's wrong theology. It's heresy. That's not what Paul, that is not what Paul says. He says he came in the likeness, not the likeness of flesh, the likeness of sinful flesh. Christ came fully in the flesh as a man, but without sin. No sin in him. Never did sin. Fully human. the, The Bible says in John, he says, and the word became flesh. And dwelt, tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There's never been a man like Jesus Christ. But he was fully man and fully God. And he bore our sins. His son, God's own son, came to offer himself for our sin. In 2 Corinthians 5 We're told that God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our part, that we might become the righteousness of Christ in him. 
Isaiah 53, verse number 4. Isaiah 53. What he says is he came for sin as an offering for sin, your translation may say. He came for sin. He came to deal with sin. In the Old Testament, there were sin offerings. On the Day of Atonement, you know the story. On the Day of Atonement, they would take a creature without spot or blemish. They would take that creature and lay their hands on its head. Trance as they prayed. It was a symbol of transference of our sin as a community on that innocent victim who had never done anything wrong, no spot or blemish, no defect whatsoever. And in that transfer of sin, then there was the taking of the blood of that animal and causing its death. And they would slit the throat of that creature and they would catch the gurgling blood out into a basin. It was, I just can't imagine what worship would have been like in Israel. And, and, and as they caught that blood, they, they would then take that blood and bring us an offering before God and then roast that animal before God on an altar as the, the, the smell of the meat ascending to the heaven and the blood that it was used in atonement, covering for our sin. But the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. And God sent his own son, the perfect lamb of God, and he bore your sin and my sin in his own body on the cross. And his own blood paid for our sin. And we are children of God by the work of God. Isaiah, in chapter number 53, he himself bore our sicknesses and carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, afflicted, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed for our iniquities, punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all turned to our own way. But the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. And then Paul says in chapter 8, verse 3, he condemned sin in the flesh. The word condemned means he judged it and he executed it. God has that power. He's the righteous judge. And he judged it and he executed it. Executed what? Sin. And he dealt with your own sin in the flesh so that you might live a new life to God. Notice with me how God has worked this powerfully for us. John Murray, by the way, a great professor now gone to be with the Lord at Westminster Seminary, 
Reformed scholar, said in that same nature which all others was sinful, in that very nature which all others was dominated and directed by sin, in that nature assumed by the Son of God but free from sin, God condemned sin and overthrew its power. He vanquished sin as power and set us free from its enslaving dominion. The battle was joined and the triumph secured in that same flesh, which in us, the seat and the agent of sin. Isn't that amazing? God did our saving in his son in real flesh and secured our salvation and condemned sin in his flesh. Wow. Why did he do it? Well, we'll have to look at that next week. He did it so that we might live free in the spirit of God. Amen. Today, as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper in just a moment, I couldn't help but think about this hymn today. Charles Wesley wrote a glorious hymn, and our praise team, praise band, is making their way here now. It's this hymn called And Can It Be. You know the hymn. And in that hymn, he says, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? There's a line in that hymn that listens, listen closely. He left his father's throne above so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for, oh, my God, it found out me. Tis mercy all, immense and free. For, oh, my God, it found out me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. This is what God has done. He has set you free to live for him through the work of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Father in heaven, as we prepare now to take the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, as our deacons coming, Father, and we're just praying that in this moment we'll be reflective and thinking on all that you've done for us in Christ. As we take this bread and drink this juice, may we remember 
what you have done for us and how you've loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.